Welcome to the LDN Radio Show, brought to you by the LDN Research Trust. I'm your host, Linda Elsigood. I have an exciting lineup of guest speakers who are LDN experts in their field. We will be discussing low-dose naltrexone and its many uses in autoimmune diseases, cancers, etc. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to this archived LDN Research Trust conference presentation. We hope you enjoy it. Postural orthostatic tachycardia and mast cell activation syndromes are very remarkable. And what's interesting is how they've come into my life as a practitioner from a case and how learning from that case has really changed my practice. Here are my disclosures and a little joke slide saying uh, syndromes really don't get any respect. That's a classic line from the comedian Rodney Dangerfield. You know, putting together these symptoms under one umbrella without a clear-cut pathophysiology just doesn't cut it with clinicians. They don't get it, and they can't really accept patients who have all these weird symptoms that I'll show you in a little bit. It's the idea that, in the slide, that when we have specialties, either neurology or gastroenterology or cardiology or allergy, in particular in these two syndromes, we're looking at our own point of view. We're blindfolded and we just have uh, one particular set of symptoms in mind, but only until we take the blindfolds off do we see that this is these sets of symptoms can come together under specific syndromes. So I'm going to present a remarkable case of a woman pictured here who suffered from many symptoms over 16 years before she went to Mayo Clinic to get a diagnosis. She saw 19 different physicians prior to that time, and nobody could figure out her problem. And so I've titled her case, 25 Years a Slave of Autoantibodies. She um, will present with the following symptoms. Initially, um, weird symptoms, flushing and rash in response to food and odors. Uh, and they were very specific. And then she developed at age 20 bloating, constipation, and her gas that she expelled was a rotten egg odor. Then at 23, more systemic symptoms started with generalized weakness. Uh, when she laid down or stood up, um, she got edema, and it was painful. Then she had a classic set of symptoms of orthostatic lightheadedness and tachycardia, and she would pass out. In fact, uh, it got worse during the heat, and she ultimately had to move to Alaska to reduce the number of times that she passed out. She had body pain. She couldn't sweat. She developed a couple of uh, autoimmune conditions, hypothyroidism, thrombocytopenia, low platelet count. And then 
over the years, uh, basically the last six years, um, prior to starting special therapy, she was disabled. She had tachycardia and syncope, passed out, lightheaded with standing or sitting. Uh, she had fatigue, uh, brain fog, couldn't think, put together thoughts well, this diffuse body pain, and she developed some unusual uh, vertigo and a constant ringing in the ear, her mouth was dry, headaches. She couldn't um, accommodate to light, so she would uh, have difficulty uh, with visual acuity. She did, developed hand and leg edema. Her hand became blue, as you saw, uh, which represents some spasm of the arteries. She had frequent urination, partly because she couldn't feel like she emptied all the way, partly because her th thirst was so great. And um, all of this, including angioedema, which is a painful swelling, uh, led to very poor sleep and rest. Uh, she found that she couldn't eat much. She filled up quickly, and that led to a liquid protein diet. And then evacuation was very hard. She would uh, strain, and if she continued for that for more than three minutes, she passed out. Well, ultimately, all these symptoms were diagnosed as POTS and mast cell syndromes. And yet, the traditional treatments for cardiac medications and mast cell stabilizers, um, high salt diet, stockings to prevent uh, blood from sitting in her um and blood and edema from uh, sitting in the legs fail. And so she investigated the internet and to see what other people were doing who had such severe problems. And she came up with low-dose naltrexone and intravenous immune globulin. This is what she did. She, start, she had her internal medicine doctor prescribe LDN the doctor was not very familiar with it, so only prescribed one milligram. So along the bottom, we see bars showing where the low-dose naltrexone was. And with that, she had a 10 uh, to 15% reduction in the symptoms of POTS, mast cell, and a little bit of her GI symptoms. So small intestinal bacterial overgrowth was ultimately diagnosed. She had some improvement with that, but it wasn't until she took intravenous immune globulin monthly that she found dramatic response in her symptom score going from an average of nine of 45 individual symptoms down to three and then um, and two and a half and two for the mast cell symptoms. But her symptoms of small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, SIBO, SIBO, did not improve further. And then uh, the dose was increased. Um, and then she connected with me through the internet via Linda Ellsgood. And I said, well, you know, you should get tested for bacterial overgrowth because so many of your GI symptoms sound like it. So she did. 
She had an abnormal test showing high amounts of hydrogen sulfide, which explains a rotten egg smell. And she had a dramatic response to rifaximin. So at the bottom, you'll see rifaximin in a, reflected as R. And there was significant improvement. And um, when the dose of LDN was increased, which is what I recommended, all of her symptoms improved further. So ultim ultimately, long-term dose escalating naltrexone or LDN, intravenous immunoglobulin and rifaximin made a big difference in her condition. That's how she looked initially. And then with treatment, we see what she looks like today, a dramatic turnaround. We see uh, the description of how things may have uh, worked for her. Um, with low-dose naltrexone, we had a rebound in endorphins, which decreased T and B cell activity, which played roles in these two syndromes. They uh, reduce cytokines as well, and they block toll receptors on microglia, which reduces pain, which is part and parcel of these two conditions. Intravenous immunoglobulin at high doses uh, binds um, this protein on antibodies, which takes it out of circulation and helps reduce the autoimmune phenomenon. And then rifaximin help treat her bacterial overgrowth. So as a gastroenterologist, I reflected on other patients that I see. And, and many gastroenterologists, they think of individual symptoms such as GERD or reflux, difficulty swallowing, abdominal pain, constipation owing to anal dysfunction, and many of our patients have fatigue. And we don't put these under one grouping. We don't try ever. It's always, you know, let's treat this, let's treat that, let's treat that. But it never uh, goes beyond that in many, many clinicians. It shows how I've been uh, deficient in my own patients. And by uh, reflecting on the case reports uh, situation, I started opening my eyes to the possibility, well, what else could be tying things together? So here's uh, going to be two cases. The first is a 55-year-old woman with 20 years of slow stomach emptying, severe migraines. In a review of systems, she had lightheadedness and weakness, which I really didn't pay attention until she came into the examining room with a cane. I said, well, what are you using that for? I said, well, when I get uh, standing, I feel like I'm going to pass out. And I said, oh, my goodness, I've been taking care of you for 20 years, and I didn't think about that as being part of the whole picture. So uh, in her workup, um, she had abnormal gastric emptying study. That's the GES. Temporarily, she was losing so much weight, I put a G-tube into her stomach. I had her seen by other gastroenterologists to get second opinions, likewise for her migraines, and she failed all typical therapy. Ultimately, she went on to get a tilt table, 
Uh, unfortunately, insurance denied IVIG because that is that protein uh, treatment is only allowed for certain specific conditions. I treated her with prednisone to try to see if it was immune responsive. And for the first time that month, she had no symptoms whatsoever. And currently, she's uh, starting on LDN, and it's too soon to say. Is a remarkable patient who's in our practice 17 years. And during that time, she had severe upper abdominal pain, acid reflux, terrible diarrhea, 30 times a day. I treated her for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth with short-term results. During the 17 years, she kept track, over 250 emergency room visits. Again, I was stumped. I referred her to four different universities, and nobody could put it together. Um, she had uh, gallbladder removed. She had uh, incisions made of her sphincter, uh, OD, which um, was meant to try to treat upper abdominal pain. She failed other treatments for slow stomach. She had a tilt table test was positive. Luckily, I was able to get her intravenous immune globulin. And for the last year, she's had no symptoms. Although in the last two years, migraines has been a problem. So, uh, pain medications have prevented active LDN use. So what is postural orthostatic tachycardia, or POTS? Well, first of all, it's relatively common. One to three million people have it. Most are women, interestingly enough, since they are more prone to get autoimmune conditions. One diagnoses it by either the tilt table or just taking the pulse. So if a person is lying down and has a resting pulse of 70 and then they go above 100, that's a clue that they have POTS. Now, one has to prove it with autonomic testing because they often have a thermoregulatory problems or they have numbness and um, a biopsy can show abnormal nerve function. These patients suffer quite a bit. Um, a study by Pedersen and Brooks showed that the suicide risk was significantly higher in these patients. And why wouldn't you be if you suffered as I will show in a second? POTS is what I call sympathetic overdrive. It's um, like the caveman pictured here in the corner has to run away from the predators and get to safety in his cave. He needs all the resources that the sympathetic involuntary nervous system does. And we know that the sympathetic and parasympathetic balance each other out on a day-to-day -day basis, but when the sympathetic systems turned on, your eyes, uh, pupils dilate so you can see better, your mouth is dry, your lungs uh, are open, relaxed bronchi, your heart rate goes faster, which helps you run faster. Uh, 
your peristalsis, your gut shuts down because of the obvious uh, need to keep on going without a pit stop, if you will. And adrenaline increases, which drives the system on further, and the bladder uh, is prevented from contracting, mainly at the urethra, so that you don't have to take a different pit stop. So that's the overdrive. How does it reflect to normal, uh, non-caveman type conditions? Well, slide 14 shows that POTS is a sympathetic dysfunction, um, either due to autoantibodies, which have been discovered, or neurological imbalance that trigger the sympathetic receptors and result in tachycardia. Um, and um, basically, without the parasympathetics, you can't balance things, so the tachycardia makes the heart rate go faster than it should to keep you upright. And there are many other symptoms that go along with it. We see a couple of the um, researchers who have diagnosed specific active autoantibodies. Uh, the first is a clinical study, and the second is an animal study um, showing how important certain antibodies are. We show that so many of our body organs are involved. Um, difficulty with heartburn, difficulty with uh, swallowing, either stomach that empties too fast or too slow. Um, there's a um, paper that I'll show you that where dysmotility is a factor, and then our case report uh, is the first one to show uh, in writing that SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, plays a role. Migraines and headaches are very common. Um, specific um, stimulation of the muscarinic cholinergic nerves can cause central nervous systems problems, including brain fog and depression. Um, anxiety or, or, or other issues, whether they come because of the illness or directly due to uh, receptors, we don't know. Again, um, you can't contract, empty the bladder. So I've seen patients where the bladder fills up to 500 cc's and then you just get an incontinence by overflow. It's hard to accommodate in light because your pupils are increased. The dry glands, the salivary glands dry up, but there's also an autoimmune condition of Sjogren syndrome, which is common. The skin, um, for a variety of reasons, has weird flushing and rashes and swelling, as the case report showed. And then the extremities, um, they uh, swell or go into vasospasms. So it's very tricky. Shows what the most common symptoms are for POTS. Uh, so 50% or more of patients have the postural changes, the tachycardia passing out or near passing out, headaches, blurry vision, and memory problems. These are the top 
six that are common. Why do you have POTS? Well, well, it is for many idiopathic. We just don't know. But um, after pregnancy, um, especially with those with hyperflexibility, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, are at risk. If they've had traumatic brain injury by either physical or electrical stimuli, you can get abnormal sympathetic activity. Infections such as Lyme disease has been shown to trigger POTS. The vaccine, um, which um, many young women get, um, has been followed by autoimmune conditions. And then there are probably some, including one patient which I diagnosed recently, who have the median arcuate ligament syndrome, where the uh, celiac artery and the nerve bundle is pulled up by a ligament and uh, dysfunctions and causes abdominal pain as well because of poor circulation. What I see, the gastrointestinal symptoms, what my colleagues see, and yet these things, if you tackle them one at a time, are hard to treat or impossible and um, are very common. And so we're missing the diagnosis in many of our patients. Here's a study of POTS patients. We see uh, 163 patients um, and the uh, range of GI symptoms is 9% to nearly 40% have GI symptoms. A smaller study looked at patients. Uh, the key thing out of this study is at the bottom that 7 out of 12 had abnormal loops of small bowel and air fluid levels, which speaks towards the small intestine being a, value, uh, being a problem. In the Mayo Clinic study that was before this, it really concentrated on the upper GI problems and... Um, this study looked at all parts of the gut. So with that, let's think about how small intestinal bacterial overgrowth could fit in. Um, just a list yet of other conditions that are associated with POTS. Um, some of these are autoimmune conditions. Some are inflammatory conditions. On the right, uh, we see a yoga uh, pose that there's no way I could get into that pose, but basically it's severe, remarkable hyperflexibility. And one of the uh, factors that um, goes into diagnosing Ehlers-Danlos syndrome is if you can put your hands to the floor with your straight legs, and she could even do more than that. Another common move is moving the tongue, the thumb into the wrist. And um, on the uh, lower left, we see how to diagnose it based on just physical exam. So this is hyperflexibility syndrome, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Uh, two studies were done that looked at the incidence of POTS in Ehlers-Danlos um, one study showed 18% of 39 patients had POTS um, compared to uh, just an autonomic disease where only 4% had 
Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And then and the second study on the lower left shows uh, at random taking Ehlers-Danlos patients, how many of those patients had POTS, and 48% had POTS and or orthostatic intolerance. So it's, it's very common and exactly why we don't know. When I um, showed you the, the second slide um, showing the symptoms that this case report had, part of it started off as mast cell activation syndrome, just sensitivity to odors getting flushed. Um, she also had nausea and, um, and skin lesions. And uh, this syndrome is relatively new, mast cell activation syndrome, or MCAS, reported in 2010 with some questionable case reports in the late 90s. There's a mutation on the regulatory protein called KIT. And we have mast cells which, which take up residence in the gastrointestinal tract, in the skin, in the bone marrow, in many of us, but only small amounts. And they're controlled, and they are defenders, and they help protect against infections. But in this overactive, hyperactive syndrome, many things, many antigens, T cells, uh, proteins, will trigger release of mediators, and over 200 mediators may be um, factored in in the activation syndrome with different symptoms resulting. We don't know how common this is. Some people feel it's up to 17% of the population, but perhaps as low as 1%. Um, as I said, it's increased uh, numbers of clonal and mast cells. However, even though they're increased in numbers, they don't, they don't take over like a cancer. It's more of an excess number of misbehaving cells. Um, there are different tests that can be done, which are beyond the scope of this lecture. Um, there's been some theory that an abnormal microbiome in the gut may trigger mast cells to be active, or perhaps T cells activate and keep the syndrome going. As I said, so many different factors are involved. Um, platelet aggregation factor at the bottom is, is something that can shoot off and cause uh, bruising to be a problem. Leukotrienes can be triggered um, and released by mast cells causing uh, bronchospasm and asthma, histamine and tryptase can be increased, causing uh, urticaria, which is the red welts, and inflammatory uh, cytokines can kick off, causing uh, issues such as pain and an inflamed body. These are the top um, Symptoms that are, occur in 50% or more, fatigue and muscle pain, 
are common. So you think about the fibromyalgia patient that comes to the rheumatologist. These patients may well have mast cell disease, and yet fibro is often a discarded group of individuals uh, because you can't put your finger on it. You can't have a biomarker. Um, but there are biomarkers for mast cell activation syndrome, um, both in the blood, with the tryptase level during an acute attack, otherwise it's normal, or with 24-hour urine testing for a variety of chemicals. Um, headaches are an issue, itching and urticaria, nausea, eye irritation, um, uh, so blurred vision due to um, uh, histamine releasing uh, irritation is a phenomenon, and a heartburn is common. So nausea and heartburn are two GI symptoms that are common to this. Again, it's systemic. Um, uh, we have so many parts of our body, virtually every organ, can be affected. And when you start looking at this, you start seeing, well, there's uh, crossovers and links with POTS, and many of the symptoms are related. Uh, the urinary tract is certainly different, um, more of it's a painful condition. Interstitial cystitis, I see, uh, is often um, attributed to an unknown cause, and yet some of these patients have mast cell condition. The colon is often a uh, target with diarrhea, constipation, uh, heartburn, as I said, so gastroesophageal reflux is an issue. If you're putting out a lot of histamine, you are increasing your acid load, and that may factor in, and you can get swollen glands as well. And as I said, these symptoms overlap with POT, so it's very difficult to know just on the basis of history alone what are causing what. So fatigue is very common, and chronic fatigue syndrome is another very difficult condition to sort out, but at least if you know about POTS and mast cell, you may have treatable causes for fatigue. Here's yet more and more symptoms that are related. Uh, most of this is uh, covered under the previous slide of the systemic involvement. This deals with what's available there, uh, what are more or less the textbook um, treatments. Um, many of them are to regulate the rapid heart rate uh, or cause vasospasm to increase the blood pressure in those that tend to faint. Um, exercise um, can be helpful, high sodium diet, rapid fluid intake. I have many patients on intravenous hydration to build up their intravenous volume and support stockings can be helpful. But these are the classic ones. And up until recently, there's nothing here that would help the GI symptoms. We do have now recent reports of immune therapy, which I'll review with you in a moment. And then for the mast cells, we have our basic attempts with 
common treatments to try to stabilize the mast cells. That doesn't always work, and there are specific drugs that are aimed at uh, mast cells that are complex infusions um, that are expensive and are best performed at major medical centers. We're going to start dealing with some of the immune therapy that's been given for POTS, not only for the GI, but for the systemic uh, symptoms related to sympathetic overdrive. So IVIG, there have been several uh, reports um, giving it alone or with immunomodulators. Plasmapheresis is an expensive modality um, that uh, was reported um, in 2000. IVIG with mycophenolate, um, uh, Dr. Goodman is about to report this in 50 patients, had a good outcome. And then the low-dose naltrexone, there has been a few reports um, in the um, lay literature on the Internet, but hopefully when we publish our article, this uh, the case report will show um, that LDN did help this patient and others in my practice. And then what's new is antibiotic therapy for SIBO in the setting of POTS. A study out of Mayo Clinic on slide 33 shows that 23 patients were evaluated. They had a host of immune testing, uh, nuclear imaging, uh, gastroduodenal manometry, uh, colonic transit studies documenting dysmotility. 88% um, had some abnormal antibody, and there's a Mayo Clinic test um, called the um, panel that looks at uh, malignancy. The, so the paraneoplastic panel comes up with a number of different antibodies. However, um, it does not come up with the uh, important ones that have just been discovered, the active ones uh, that have been reported out of Texas and Oklahoma. Nonetheless, um, three of these patients had a, a positive test to suggest that there was an underlying cancer, so a paraneoplastic. Most did not. Um, there was slow transit in many patients, in 12 patients, the small bowel was slow. And they were given treatment for 6 to 12 weeks with IVIG and 16 uh, methylprednisolone, high doses, very high doses, in five patients or both in two patients. And 74% had remarkable improvement in their gastrointestinal symptoms. They continued long-term um, switching over um, in many to oral agents, but continuing in IVIG, showing continued response. A case, retrospective case review by myself and my colleague, um, looking at 27 POTS patients in our clinic. Most were female, 27 female. 
27% had mast cell activation syndrome, 42% had Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, very similar to the literature. Although Dr. Goodman tells me that most of his patients have um, mast cell activation syndrome. We see the symptoms that they had, the GI symptoms, abdominal pain, bloating, nausea, constipation, diarrhea, reflux. I did um, breath testing um, in the 27 patients and 69% were abnormal. When I looked at uh, my own patients in another study for controls, only 10% were abnormal. So there was a significant percent who had abnormal breath tests. I gave antibiotics uh, to those with abnormal breath tests. Um, and uh, not all patients decided to take the antibiotics, but of those 15 that did, improvement in GI symptoms occurred in 10 out of 15. And four, remarkably, had improvement in their POT symptoms. Lodose naltrexone was prescribed in 11 patients, and seven out of 11 had improvement in their GI symptoms, and five out of 11 had symptomatic improvement in either POTS or mast cell, which is remarkable for a very inexpensive medication. To summarize, these are very complex symptomatic disorders. Um, I'd like to think, you know, when I can't figure out a patient, I ask myself, is this a POTS patient or do they have mast cell? Because if they're not responding to simple therapy, something else is wrong. The motility system of the GI tract is highly complex. We have uh, mainly um, conditions that are beyond our mental control, especially the sympathetic and parasympathetic uh, symptoms, and there has to be balance. If there isn't due to antibodies or due to neurological imbalance, many, many symptoms go awry in the GI tract. We're now seeing some uh, new hopes for these patients with LDN, IVIG, immunomodulators and antibiotics. Um, I've shown you that um, the uh, symptoms of gas, bloating, abdominal pain, constipation can be dramatically improved by treating underlying SIBO. And hopefully the remainder in many patients will ultimately be able to be treated with immune globulins um, to reduce autoimmune antibodies. Finally, the hope is that the LDN will play a role in reducing B cell activity and autoimmune antibodies as well, and that with T cell activity, we'll be able to hone in on the mast cell and reduce that activity as well. That's the end of this lecture. Any questions or comments you may have, please email me, linda, L-I-N-D-A, at ldnrt.org. I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for joining us today. We really appreciated your company. Until next time, stay safe and keep well.